Colcast. Colcast. All right, welcome to Colcast, episode one. Uh, we're going to be talking about fishing today. My name is Logan, and I'm a pen tester at Coalfire Labs. And then we also have Nate here. Hello, hello. Um, so this episode, like I mentioned, is about fishing. Um, each episode of Colcast, we're going to be talking about a topic in information security. Uh, specifically penetration testing, but we might branch out as we get more episodes. I'm sure there's only so much you can talk about specific to pen testing. Um, we wanted to do an episode about fishing today just because it's been something that's on my mind. Uh, fishing is something that not a lot of organizations, I feel, get included as part of their pen test, and it's something that I think they should get included as part of their pen test. Um, and additionally, it's something that when they do get it included as part of their pen test, I don't think that the pen tester always does the best job. Not necessarily uh, specifically from coal fire, but I think that as pen testers we could be fishing better because I feel like actual attackers are fishing much better. Um, so just some topics today we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about like fishing infrastructure, um, server setup, you know, cool stories from fishes that we've done, uh, pretexts or scenarios that you'll use, things like that. Um, so Nate, do you have anything you want to kick us off with? Yeah, and I mean, as you we were talking, I just like a few questions popped up in my head, and I haven't done much fishing myself. Um, I'm pretty actually new to coal fire. Um, so when you were saying that, like, why do you feel like we aren't doing as good of a job? So uh, there's a lot of stuff that can be done with fishing. Uh, there's a lot of little tricks that you can do to make users more likely to fall for a fish, or to make the falling for a fish more devastating to the company. Uh, for example, most of the fishing engagements that we do, um, our payload is just a login page. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to get the user to log in and we get their password. I think that we need to start branching out more and having some actual payloads run. Like if we were beef hooking users, mm -hmm. um, in addition to stealing their password, we would be able to maybe like get a shell on their computer or steal cookies, session cookies, uh, things like that. Um, you know, we should be utilizing open redirects more in phishing. Mm. Uh, a lot of domains have open redirect vulnerabilities, so we could point the victim to their actual company domain.com slash yada yada, and it would redirect to our malicious domain. Uh, we're not doing that. We're just spinning up some duplicate domain. Um, Another thing that I think we should be doing that we're not is getting more creative with the scenarios. Um, I know at Coal Fire we use uh, a few like template scenarios a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and whether or not your organization gets that template scenario kind of depends on the tester and you know how busy they are. If, if the tester really wants to take the time to customly craft a scenario for your organization, they might. Um, or they might use like a template scenario that's proven successful. Um, I like to make custom ones for every organization and do a little bit of research. Um, one of the best fishes I ever had was a organization that uh, was really big on like charitable actions. They had a big committee, the Charitable Actions Committee. <laughs> um, and th this is an organization that's like a public services organization located in the, uh, in the South. Um, and you might remember, I don't know how long it's been, like several months maybe almost a year um since those like slew of hurricanes it was like hurricane irma hurricane oh, maria it's funny because i was i was in uh 
living in Jacksonville, and I actually fled from Irma, and it was insane. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, man, I traveled for like two days. Like That's crazy. That's yeah, pretty Just to get out of the, like, danger zone? Yeah, we all thought we were, we're not native to Florida, so we were like, we all thought we were going to get, like, wiped out and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was scary just, like, seeing stuff on the news, people's houses getting destroyed. So I used that as a pretext for a fish. Um, they were real big on charity. And they were located near where a lot of, like, stuff was going down. So I sent an email to them uh, impersonating their charitable actions committee. Uh, I utilized an open redirect in their domain. And I pointed them to a fake Salvation Army, like, uh, website that said, hey, you know, you have... And, and the content of the email said, uh, hey, the charitable actions committee has decided to automatically uh, donate 10% of your next paycheck <laughs> to hurricane relief. And you need to log into this website uh, in order to cancel it. And it pointed to what looked like an Office 365 login. And I knew they used Office 365 for their email. Um, so because, you know, mail.domain.com pointed to their Office 365 page. Mm. So I just, you know, a little bit of research by checking their mail.whatever.com subdomains and finding that open redirect um, and finding that they had a charitable actions committee. Just that little bit of extra effort um, made it a very successful fish. I think I got something like a... 70% click rate and like a 40% credential submission rate, um, which is really high for a, a fed ramp fish. Hmm. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that fish a lot. <laughs> and, and how did it feel like, did you like, I mean, using a natural disaster? Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cold. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like I, I felt a little bit like morally compromised by it, but at the same time, that's kind of the point. Like, yeah. You got to do what you can to, to trick them, right? And, and an attacker is going to do the same stuff. Like anything they can do to convince you uh, to click that link, whether it be like making you feel guilty or making you feel like you might get fired if you don't do that. Like that's that's the whole thing with social engineering. You got to either guilt people or make them scared or use some sort of authority that you have. So I don't know. I kind of combine those. Like they were scared that they were going to get their paycheck deducted. They felt guilty that maybe they should donate and like, <laughs> so I think it was a great scenario um, and it was timed well <laughs> like, yeah yeah that is really good and it's interesting that people were you know not wanting to donate and whatnot it's kind of funny yeah think about. <laughs> yeah well because like people like to donate but at the same time like an automatic deduction they're not super keen on so maybe they even did want to donate but they wanted to donate five percent instead mm. uh, I don't know because I didn't actually accept donations I just took their <laughs> logins and then redirected them to their company website and said oh yeah by the way if the website's not working for you try again in 24 hours or whatever and mm. That's really good. Yeah. So you said that was a good fish or whatever. Do you have like a sort of like a bad one? Whatnot? I've had a lot of bad fishes. My bad fishes are usually just, uh, you know, where there's like a not very many targets. Um, most of them are FedRAMP fishes. So for those that don't know, FedRAMP is a compliance uh, requ requirement. So I don't know how to exactly describe it. But um, essentially, if you are a cloud service provider, like an organization that um, you know, has a virtual machine uh, or like a VMware license and you lease out server space to people um, and one of your clients is a federal government body, um, you are now a federal cloud service provider and you have to be FedRAMP compliant. So if you provide cloud services to the federal government, you have to be FedRAMP compliant. And part of being FedRAMP compliant 
is getting a pen test. Uh, and part of the requirements for that pen test is a social engineering exercise. Uh, and FedRAMP is very sort of loose uh, or broad, maybe would be a better word, on what their uh, requirements are for pen testing. They don't even call them requirements, they call them guidelines on their website. So um, one might be able to argue that they don't have to do everything in the document. Um, but the, the social engineering sec sorry, the social engineering section just says that you have to get a phishing test done against people that administer the uh, target cloud service systems. So, you know, maybe only five of your employees are system admins on these systems. So even though you have 300 employees at your organization, only five of them need to be fished. Um, and it also allows the client to sort of set the scope as to what uh, they will allow the pen testing company to do as part of the fish. So the client can say, oh yeah, you know, you're not allowed to use a complicated, cool scenario. You're only allowed to use this like super dumb scenario because those are our rules. Um, so FedRAMP puts a lot of hands in the client to like sort of make themselves succeed, which I don't really like. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where most of my bad fishes come from. Clients will say, okay, you need to do a very simple fish and you are only allowed to fish these six employees and those usually end up in failures mm -hmm. uh, where you know I'll get one person that clicks and zero people that submit credentials um, or nobody will even open the email. I've had clients before that have straight up told me like yeah we alerted the employees uh, a couple weeks ago that there would be a fish coming up mm -hmm. and that is just like it totally negates the whole point of the social engineering exercise like yeah you're supposed to be training your employees to not fall for these things, but not the week before telling them, hey, you know, next week you're going to get an email right. from this company that's going to be trying to fish you. Like that, it just makes the whole thing a moot point. Yeah. Like, why do you think, why do you think people do that, though? Because they have more interest in succeeding, you know, winning the pen test than mm -hmm. actually making sure their organization's secure. Um, I think that's probably the biggest problem in security right now is that yeah. uh, a lot of organizations are more concerned with having a clean report than actually being secure, um, unfortunately. Now, I don't, I don't want to say most organizations are like that or, you know, organizations only care about compliance because there's, you know, a lot of overlap between compliance and security. A lot of people will say, like, compliance does not equal security, but it definitely helps. Like, it gives organizations a reason to be secure but unfortunately there's a lot of loopholes you know PCI has loopholes that organizations will try to jump through FedRAMP has loopholes like what I mentioned about them being able to set their own rules for their fish mm -hmm. so yeah. well, you were saying earlier about like um, like FedRAMP being able to put certain restrictions on your fish and I was gonna ask like do you think that um, like there's a place for like bad fishing, like you know, because if some, if you can get let's say a hundred people to click, you know, your malicious link using a very very bad phishing attempt, is that more telling than you getting you know I mean, the same amount of people with like a uh, uh, an extravagant uh, thing, yeah. you know what I mean? Like is is there a place for bad fishing? Is yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, one thing that Coal Fire I know used to do, they used to be very big on 
was fishing levels. Mm. Um, I haven't heard that term as much recently, so I don't know if we've like phased out the hardcore like fishing level concept, but mm. um, I know personally whenever I'm on a scoping call for a pen test where I'm going to be fishing, I like to ask the organization like, hey, do you guys do fishing tests often? Um, have they been successful? Can I see like the previous phishing emails? Uh, what sort of security awareness training do you guys do? Just so I can get an idea for like the uh, sort of mindset of the employees, I guess, mm -hmm. like whether or not they're familiar with fish fishing. Because you're absolutely right. Like, if I can fish everybody at the organization with a really complicated fish, or I can fish them all with a really simple fish, like I would rather. I would rather get the highest success rate possible with the simplest fish possible, I think, because yeah. that way we can kind of like scale up from there. Like start with, you know, a Nigerian prince sort of scam, <laughs> right? Like something super simple and obvious. Because yeah. um, if like half the organization fails to that, that's a big deal. Right. We can train them on like, hey, watch for grammar errors, spelling errors, look at the sender address, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then once they don't fall for that fish anymore, scale it up. like. Maybe use a open mail relay thing so you can impersonate the sending domain and make it look more legit. Um, maybe don't have a bunch of speller, spelling and grammar errors in the email so it looks more legit. And Once they know to look for those things, scale it up and just keep making the fishes more complicated over the years. Um, and that's another thing. I think companies need to do that. Like They need to stick with an organization to continuously fish them because... Uh, a lot of people will like shop around for pen tests. They'll bounce around between companies trying to get like the lowest price. Mm. Um, and that causes issues when it comes to that sort of stuff. Like not all organizations will ask about your previous fishes and they might do a fish that's less complicated than the last year. And then nobody falls for it and nobody learns anything either. Like mm. they, the employees saw a suspicious looking email and they forwarded it on and then like, yeah, they succeeded the fish, but they didn't learn about new tactics. Um, and I think that's a big part of phishing training as well. Like, pen testers and actual hackers, uh, maybe not actual hackers is the right word, like malicious actors, um, they're constantly improving their methods. And I think that employees need to be trained on every new method that we come up with so they know. Uh, like, two-factor authentication bypasses, that's something that not a lot of people are aware exists. So they think, oh, well, I put 2FA on, I'm totally locked up, nobody can ever fish me. That's not the case, so. I mean, what are some methods to bypass uh, two-factor? Um, a big one, have you ever heard of uh, Evil GenX? Mm -mm. It's like a phishing server infrastructure uh, that you can set up and you set it up as opposed to like setting up an Apache web server with MySQL backend and PHP installed. like. You just set up this evil GenX web server, um, and it works just like a normal fish, except it's, it's kind of like it beef hooks their browser to steal their session cookie, but um, the entire point is just to steal the session cookie. So they log in, you steal their password, they do the two-factor auth. You don't intercept the two-factor auth code or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They just put it in and log in, and then once they're logged in, they get a session cookie from the website, and you grab that too. Oh, wow. And now that you have the session cookie, you don't need the two-factor auth. You just throw the session cookie in your browser and you're them. So that's a, that's a big one. There's, like, SMS intercepts, too, where you can, like, you know, intercept with a SDR the SMS codes. But that's kind of complex. But there's, like, threats out there that have it, you know, if, if you're that big of a target. Um, 
And then there's always, of course, people that just click approve on their (laughs) two-factor auth. I've had that happen before, too. It wasn't a phishing engagement that I was doing. It was um, some personal project. No, no, it was it was it was for coal fire. It was a a coal fire pen test where I was on the internal network and they had duo two factor auth for RDP access to certain systems. So I tried RDPing to a system. I had this dude's password um, and it popped up a duo thing like, okay, I've sent a duo prompt to your device now. And I was like, crap, because I didn't know they were using duo. So I was like, Mm. oh, no, this guy's going to see this like. I've been caught, um, and then he hit approve. <laughs> uh, at least I assume he hit approve, or there's like some major glitch in Duo because within a few seconds of it saying we've sent this prompt, it like let me in. Man. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's funny. So. Oh man. Could you tell me like a little bit about your methodology and like so from start to finish your fishing campaign? Like, what are some things that you do, and then maybe like highlight on some of the things that you do that may set you apart from like other people's um, fishing campaigns? Yeah, uh, so for the longest time when I was fishing, I like to use uh, like pre-set up fishing infrastructure like GoFish and Metasploit Pro because it's very user friendly. Um, it's very quick, so you buy the domain, you point the domain to your public IP for your Metasploit Pro box, um, it spins up like a mail server, an SMTP server, um, and a web server. And it's even got like a click to clone feature where you point it to a website you want to clone and it clones the source code and now you have a lookalike and it takes like a few minutes, right? Mm. So that's super awesome. Um, But as I started to sort of customize my stuff more, I noticed that those those like pre-set up infrastructures didn't really have everything that I needed. Like I wanted to do additional logging, right? So I wanted to log um, the time that the user clicked, um, maybe like try to track users that went to the page multiple times and submitted creds multiple times, or maybe they, like what device they came from. Like I wanted to grab the user agent, stuff like that. And Metasploit Pro and GoFish don't necessarily support all those features. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started setting up my own infrastructure. So what I would do, uh, what I do now is I use AWS, I set up a Linux box that has like a full LAMP stack, so it's Linux box with Apache and MySQL and PHP. Um, and I just set up my own web server there. It's really easy to copy source code from another website and then sort of modify it like instead of redirecting or instead of submitting logins to the actual Office 365 website, I want to submit them to my MySQL database and like store it there. Um, so in order to do that, you have to have some sort of like web design background. Um, but that's, I mean, basic web design stuff like PHP logging uh, logins to a MySQL database. Like you can find a tutorial online for how to do that if you've never done it before. Um, and just play around with it. Um, and that's you, that's what I do now, yeah. And then, did you have any like resources in mind that like you know would be good to teach you how to do that stuff? Like just nothing off the top of okay. my head. No, like YouTube tutorials. Okay. Just I I when I look at tutorials for stuff, I have a I, I consider this like a bad habit and a good habit. Mm-hmm. I jump around a lot. Like I never read a, a tutorial on something from start to finish. Um, which is bad if I'm like missing some minor detail like dude if I would just read the whole article from start to finish I would probably get it but um, I think I learn a lot 
for just like pulling up five tutorials for the same thing and just kind of skimming them all. Yeah. Um, video tutorials are also really nice. Um, I recently found a YouTube tutorial for like Ansible, and Ansible's really awesome if you haven't messed with that before. I think I might start using that for setting up fishing infrastructure too. Um, is that is that like made for fishing? Ansible is just like a uh, it's a DevOps tool that people use. Mm -hmm. So it's for setting up infrastructure, like automated infrastructure setup. So you have a playbook in Ansible, which is just like a YML file, like sort of like an XML text file that says um, SSH to this server, run these commands, uh, install these repositories and stuff, and then exit out or whatever. You can make it, like it's very customizable. So I might start using Ansible for that. Like if I need a phishing server set up, I'll just you know set up something in AWS and click go and it'll install everything automatically that I need. Um, there's also stuff like Red Baron, which mm. uh, is a tool that we've put out um, that you can spin up phishing infrastructure, C2 infrastructure as a whole, like you can set up redirects and um, Metasploit on boxes all automatically and it'll, uh, it supports like multiple cloud service providers so you could do like AWS, um, DigitalOcean droplets, Google Cloud, whatever you want. Um, on the Red Baron, um, who made that? Is that Byte Bleeder? Yeah, Byte Bleeder made it um, when he was here. And uh, we still have, that's the beauty of open source. Mm -hmm. um, we still have our repository for it. Um, new updates are getting pushed to his personal GitHub. So he's forked it and posting new updates from there. I think we have a couple of people still working on pushing updates um, to our repository. I'm not entirely sure on that, so don't quote me. But um, yeah, Byte Bleeder's putting stuff out on his personal GitHub fork of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of my, like I like creating my own infrastructure for the web server side of stuff. Uh, when it comes to the mail server stuff, I'm not super familiar with setting up SMTP servers. I've tried, but I seem like I always run into some weird bug um, or like sending it gets caught by spam filters. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's so much that goes into like DKIM and like, you know, making sure that you're authorized to send from this domain and all that stuff. So what I like to do is just Office 365, um, set up an Office 365 account for that domain. Mm. So if you buy your domain through like GoDaddy, and I'm sure other domain sellers provide this, uh, but GoDaddy has like a, what's called the email essentials bundle. And you just click a little checkbox. It adds like $5 to the cost of the domain and you get an Office 365 account, like all pre-configured and ready to go. Wow, that's cool. And that almost never gets caught by spam filters. Mm. Um, and you know, you have a really nice interface, web interface ready to go. You don't have to worry about using like a dumb little command line mail sending interface. So that's what I like to do. I like to use Office 365 for the email and then like my own custom LAMP stack for uh, the web server side of stuff. Mm. And it's proven successful for me and I can, you know, sort of modify stuff as I see fit. So if I feel like logging certain things, I can go in and just really quickly change some PHP around or um, the downside is that if you mess up setting up your own infrastructure, it can sometimes cause issues. So when I was very early on, uh, like one of my first fishes that I did, um, where I started setting up my own infrastructure, this is like a year or two ago, probably. Um, I set up a, like the PHP on the site was supposed to write to a text file and I <laughs> stored that text file in the web root 
So anybody that went to the website could, if, oh, if they like derbustered my site or something for creds.txt, <laughs> they could just find a list of every username and password of the people that submitted their credentials to that site, or to my phishing site, which what? is terrible, 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 <laughs> like OPSEC for a pen tester, like yeah. making your client's credentials publicly visible to the internet. That was a big like, oh crap moment when I realized that I did that. Uh, thankfully, I realized it like during my tests before I like deployed it, but um, it was a close call. Like especially if the client found it, oh my god, <laughs> they would have been mad. They would have been really mad. Um, and of course, it could have caused a breach if like yeah. a black hat hacker found client creds on there. But and surely you checked your logs and nobody did. That. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like I caught it before. So that's another reason that I love using AWS. I can make everything with AWS security groups. I can make everything like firewalled off to the rest of the internet except for me mm. and it just takes like two clicks so you can do that of course with other cloud service providers like set up firewall rules that's not unheard of yeah. <laughs> but uh, with AWS you can set up a security group for being open to the internet and you can set up a security group for being only open to your home IP address or your office IP address and then you can say okay I'm ready to make this visible to the internet click now it's visible to the internet so I, re I really like AWS for that um, if you haven't like messed around with AWS, I think it's definitely something worth looking into if you're wanting to set up infrastructure, not just for phishing, but for like anything you need, because mm. there's just so many options. Yeah, like um, what all do you use it for, like personally? Um, I use it for a lab, so I have like a pen testing lab. I use it for infrastructure for phishing, of like I mentioned. I use it for infrastructure for uh, just like projects that I'm doing. So uh, one thing that Coalfire is doing right now uh, is we're working with a local Girl Scout troop. I think maybe a few troops. I'm not super sure on the details, like the logistics of it. Mm. Um, but I've gotten pulled in to help set up uh, like projects for their cybersecurity badge because the Girl Scouts have a cybersecurity badge now. Yeah. So and hopefully we'll get some uh, Girl Scout cookies with that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope too. they just they, unlimited supply. Yeah, they cut us a deal, like bring in some tagalongs or oh Samoas. God. Oh man. I like the uh, the uh, shortcake ones. I don't like those. Well, then you can give me it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the lemon the lemon ones are good too. Yeah, those are pretty good. I like those. With the, powder. <laughs> um, so I'm setting up infrastructure to uh, get them like basic coding. Like I'm going to set up a, a Linux server with Apache Guacamole so they can just log into it uh, in an internet browser. Apache Guacamole is awesome. Uh, it's like RDP but in your browser and it's very easy to set up client side. Server side it's a bit of a pain but once you get it set up server side like there's no Java required client side. Hmm. Um, there's no configuration. Like you just go to the website, log in, and now you have an RDP session essentially. So guacamole is awesome. Um, and I set up Scratch. You ever mess around with Scratch before? Mm -hmm. It's like a coding IDE that you can use. Um, and it's got like a little mascot and it's like click and drag. So you can say set up a for loop by clicking and dragging for loop uh, bo blocks oh, okay. around stuff. So really oh, cool. simple for learning coding. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's stuff like that. Any sort of time where I need a server set up and I don't feel like doing it on a virtual machine on my laptop or my desktop, uh, I use AWS. Just the cloud is amazing for that type of stuff. If you need uh, a 
server that is like portable and widely available and you can just you know shut it down and turn it on as needed from anywhere in the world like AWS is great for that sponsored by AWS right <laughs> just kidding. not sponsored by AWS I'm just an AWS fanboy I really am yeah I mean I like AWS um, what do I use it for I like to use it for like um, whenever I'm doing like bug bounty stuff and yeah just testing payloads um, I like to use it for that yeah yeah that's another thing if I'm trying to find an O'Day in something like you can go download a Linux server or a Windows server with certain software pre-installed through AWS so you can be like oh I want to find an O'Day in this like uh, shopping like e-commerce shopping cart application I'm gonna go set up an AWS box with that stuff pre-installed and now I can get to work on it right and it's your own server so you don't have to worry about like hacking another company you don't have permission to hack or setting up the install and all that it's just ready to go so I love it so have you ever done like uh, any social engineering at all I know you said you haven't done phishing before but have you done like pretext calling or anything <laughs> yeah I did a few pretext calls um, but it was on like a few of them uh, here and that was like two weeks ago did you like it like was it fun because yeah. some people love it some people hate it yeah I really enjoyed it like um, one of the things I like to do, um, or I kind of thought to do or whatever, my first one was like ask for like the last five digits of their password or whatever. And I feel like most people are pretty open to do that. Because um, it's not the full password, right? Right, yeah. right. And people are used to like last five of your social, last five of your, you know. Yeah. So when you ask for like a confirmation type thing, um, I feel like people are more open to do that and then like for uh, a few users um, like their password their username you know I could start to see like their username in their password so like I feel like the five digits were enough to get there to guess the rest of it where'd you, know? you get that idea from because I really like that idea I Did made you it just, up you just come up with it <laughs> yeah that's really yeah. smart I love it because yeah. like one concept in social engineering that uh, I have always really liked is like once you get someone to help you a little bit they're more keen to help you a lot. So uh, when I call up people, I like to be like, hey, you know, can you give me your name? Can you give me your email address? Um, does you have like a desk number, an asset tag on your laptop, especially if I'm impersonating IT, because mm. then the more information they give you, they're like, oh, this guy's my friend, he's trustworthy, like I've already given him this much, I might as well keep going with it. So that's smart, like yeah. you could even turn it around and be like, you know, can you give me the last three digits of your password? And like they tell you, and you're like, that's not matching what I'm seeing. Like, what what password yep. are you using? Like, what? <laughs> that's then, exactly what I did too. And that worked really well. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Man. It was funny because uh, one of the users is like, "Wait, who is this?" <laughs> like immediately after I asked for the whole thing, they were like, "Wait, how do I know that you're actually IT support?" And I was like, "Ah." You know, that's actually a good question. Uh, I'm glad you asked. Look, I'm just here to do my job and blah, 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 whatever. They bought it? No, they didn't buy it <laughs> after that. But, um, you know, that's all, all you could do. Sometimes they catch on. But, like, yeah, but I felt like, um, you know, I only had a few users that I called for that. But I feel like if I had done that, you know, for, say, 100 people, I could have walked away with, like, significant um, amount of passwords. Nice. But See, that's I don't like pretext calling because um, it's more stressful to me. Like you have to think on the fly, and it's more personal. Like you're actually talking to someone and lying to them. Yeah. When it comes to phishing, the way I see it is like I get to orchestrate this big event 
Like, mm-hmm. when I click send on the emails, that's like, I'm done with the fish at this point, and now I wait and see if I successfully tricked people. With pretext calling, it's like an active thing. Like, you call the person, and for who knows how long, 30 seconds to three minutes, you're just lying and, like, <laughs> scared you're going to get caught. I, yeah. I find it incredibly stressful. I feel bad because I like it, and I, <laughs> I enjoy it. I enjoy doing that. Like, um, and I think part of it, too, is... Uh, for a while, I did work as a, like a systems admin or whatever. So like I would do like a lot of those calls and talking to people and tech support and things. So like, you know, being able to use that in this cool way and be witty and, um, you know, and and a lot of times even like when they catch you, it's you know fun. It's more like lighthearted in that event. Like wait, wait, wait a second, you know, it's like oh hi, you got me kind of thing, <laughs> rather than like you know what I mean. I don't know. I just I like to keep it fun, and you know, think of it as more like a fun joke prank type thing. Yeah, that's what Jim Ali has uh, always told me. Yeah. Jim is that's incredibly good at pretext calling, and he he's always spun it as prank calls because I guess like he he used to do a ton of prank calls when he was younger, like mm-hmm. as a hobby, um, and I guess he's just sort of taken that mindset into the professional side of like vishing pretext calling. Um, and he kills it, man. Like seventy percent success rate on stuff. It's unheard I didn't even of. Know that. Yeah. Yeah, I hang out with him like all the time. Yeah, you gotta listen to him do some pretext calls if you haven't. Just like don't don't let him dodge you on it too. Like I, I got to listen to him do a few and he is just so natural at it, man. Now I gotta bug him and like ask him to to show me. Yeah. He's real sweet over the phone and people like love him. Like, oh yeah, I'll yeah. give you my password. You've been nice to me. Like, Let's see if I can get him to like get us some food or something. Yeah. Uh, this is the burger inspector. I'm gonna need you to send me some burgers. Hey, I was there last week. <laughs> That's uh, fun. What uh what scenarios have you used on those pretext calls? Because I found the IT one to be pretty successful. Have you tried other ones? Yeah, and I was kinda given a, a context. Um Man, and it'd be fun to like think of some cool, you know, ways to <laughs> trick people to give me their passords. Um, but the the pre- the context that I was given was um, tech support. You know, hey, um, there's been suspicious activity, and I'm calling to um, check it out, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, I'm gonna need you to uh, lock your computer, verify the last five of your password for me. Because um, we've seen um, that there was some sort of brute force attack where there were some passwords that were entered. So we just kind of want to make sure that those passwords still aren't in effect. And, you know, people leave whatever, you know. So, um, and then that situation, that's when people say, okay, last pass, my, the last five of my password is, you know, username, uh, you know, uh, I like, she, whatever, you know. Yeah. So and it's like, oh, wow, I see your username. I pretty much can guess the rest of your password. Yeah, IT is a pretty successful one I've heard from a lot of people. I think it's because people don't really understand it, and they sort of fear it, and they just like, oh, I don't want to mess with it. IT's calling. That's like this magical other world that I don't know anything about, so I'm just going <laughs> to comply with what the IT guy says. Um, I've tried like HR ones before, like where I'm like, yeah, I'm with human resources, and we're like trying to set up this migration thing. People don't buy that. People don't buy that one very much. So, I don't know. One thing I was just thinking about, too, um, is, like, doing the whole team viewer thing, like... Yeah, like those scam calls do, like, go install this, and... Yeah, and the only thing I think about is, like, their antivirus, but for most 
uh, organizations I've been with haven't really blocked it unless the users can't install it themselves. Yeah. But I think most of the time you can run those like one-time um, executables. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. The, the things that people send you. Um, so I think that might actually be successful, something to try out. Yeah, you can learn a lot by like watching the actual spam calls and mm -hmm. actual phishing emails. Like that's one thing that I I always try to do, and that I think other people that fish and social engineer professionally should be doing is like staying on the cutting edge of it. You know, just just like we try to stay on the cutting edge of like, ooh, this new Oday came out, or oh, this new like, uh, what is it like Drupal exploit came right. out. Like we always stay on the cutting edge of that, but people sort of stay stuck in their ways with phishing, like. Mm -hmm we'll do this Starbucks fish for three years and never change it. Um, what is the Starbucks fish? The Starbucks fish is like the most popular coal fire fishing template. People use it and it always works for some reason. I don't understand why it always works because I would never fall for it. Mm. Um, basically, you get an email saying, hey, uh, your company has partnered with Starbucks. If you <laughs> fill out this survey, you get a free Starbucks gift card. And you go to the website to fill out the survey. It asks you to log in using your company credentials on this Starbucks website. <laughs> and people do it to get a Starbucks gift card. Blows me away. Like, that's basic tricking 101. Like, you, you want a gift card. Log, give me your password to get a $25 Starbucks gift card. Like, why would someone fall for that? But they do. It's bizarre. Man, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I mean... Everybody loves Starbucks. Everybody loves money, yeah. Starbucks and money, and like, I get, I get the appeal, right? Like, I yeah. get, ooh, I want a gift card. But that's like stuff you get pop-ups in your browser saying you want an iPhone, and you don't click those. So True. why would you click some random email saying you got a Starbucks gift card? True. True. Just super weird to me. But yeah, I mean, people use it all the time because it's super successful. And I think maybe I just got into phishing because it annoyed me that it was successful and I was like, I'm not gonna do it, I'm gonna do my own stuff. And that just kind of led me down this rabbit hole of like custom fishing infrastructure and more fishing research and stuff. Um, Cause originally like I wanted to do a talk at uh, Nerd Night in Denver. Have I told you about Nerd Night? No, it's you this. You, people don't tell me anything. <laughs> I just find out things just randomly. So Nerd Night is this thing that they do once a month in Denver. Um, it's like a TED talk. You know, like TEDx talks? Yeah. It's like a, an amateur TED talk. Because real official TED talks, you have to get invited. And it's like only for people that are like super experts, I guess. Yeah, like Ty um, Lopez. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> like no. Ty Lopez, the genius <laughs> Ty right. Lopez. Um, and you have to pay and get invited to even go to the TED talks. Um, not just to present, but like to see the TED talks in person. You have to get invited and pay a ton of money. Um, with TEDx, it's like more local and amateur and free. Um, and Nerd Night's kind of like that, except it's just local to Denver and it's a little less professional, like mm. a little more adult, like a, an adult TEDx talk, I guess, would be the okay. thing. And a lot of the talks range from things like music to like literature to mechanical engineering. And I decided to do a talk about uh, information security, just like basic information security concepts to the average person that might not be familiar with it at all. So I talked about like password managers, VPNs, uh, antivirus, ad blocking, that sort of stuff, like the security benefits behind them. Um, and I wanted to do another one about phishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realized that 
it's a lot of work to do those talks because you have to like try to constantly think about like the audience because the audience there ranges from like other computer security experts um, like maybe there's two or three other in the room uh, to like an old lady that has no idea what a computer is so just mm. it's hard like the pressure's on to <laughs> to make your talk accessible so instead I decided like maybe I should just get all my fishing venting out mm. on episode one of Colcast. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and here we are yeah here we are talking about fishing man you know we were talking about uh, like FedRAMP before um and that's another thing that i i think that uh i want to address a bit more is like fishing's role in compliance or mm -hmm. compliance's role in fishing no i think i was right the first time <laughs> just like why more compliance standards don't require fishing um like pci doesn't require fishing hipaa doesn't require fishing um there's a billion that I couldn't name, uh, <laughs> but there's so many like information security requirements and uh, phishing is never brought up and I don't understand why. It's like one of the most easy to do things that would lead your organization to getting breached. Like you don't need to find an O-Day, like organizations are pretty locked up internet facing because there's hackers with O-Days scanning the internet trying to find some unpatched system. So like externally internet facing their infrastructure is pretty locked down but any goober with a metasploit installed on their computer can set up a payload and then send an email pointing a user to that payload and you're bound to get one user that's going to click it and if your AV doesn't catch it now you have a like a script kitty with a shell on your network and it's just like why why wouldn't you fish why wouldn't you get phishing done as part of your pen test that's like I don't know. In my eyes, that's something that is the biggest threat. Yeah, and and even like somebody, like everybody is uh, vulnerable. To yeah, it, you know what I mean. Like anybody, the CEO could click the email. You know, anybody, you know, somebody very basic with very little pen testing skills can bring down your CEO like instantly. Yeah. You're not gonna get a lot of people that are gonna burn O days on your organization because like if they use an O day on you and you have like some incident response or blue team people or like malware reverse engineers that find out about this O-Day, now, now that O-Day is no longer an O-Day. Now some security researcher has found out the details because they found the like remnants of your exploit and they've reverse engineered it and now you can't use that O-Day anywhere else because there's a patch for it because they reported it to the organization. Um, but with phishing, like you can fish a billion organizations. <laughs> like, right. And if your infrastructure gets identified, take it down and make a new one. Like I mentioned, like AWS, you can just spin stuff up and drop it down. It's, it's super easy to fish, mm. and it's absolutely devastating if you do it correctly. Yet no organizations are doing it. Instead, they're doing these like physical pen tests, which I, I we'll probably talk about yeah. physical <clears throat> pen tests in another episode because like I, I think that physical pen tests are important, but at the same time, like, why would you spend the money to get a physical pen test done and not spend the money to get a phishing test done when one of them is, like, much easier for an attacker to execute? Mm. A hacker's not going to go in person to your organization to plug in 
a flash drive with some malware on it. Not <laughs> usually, at least. Like, yeah. like hackers don't want to go outside, man. And right. if, if they yeah. get caught breaking in, they get arrested. Like, that's bad. Yeah, and the likelihood of that happening is, like, astronomically higher than setting up some web server. Yeah, exactly. It's so easy to set up a server and take it down and stay anonymous and, you know, put your stuff behind a VPN and all this. Mm. Whereas if you're actually going in person to a building where yeah. there's like likely to be security guards and cameras and guns guns yeah <laughs> exactly and cops that like are parked across the street right i just i don't get it yeah so, so i think i think more compliance standards should start requiring phishing as as a attack vector that needs to be tested mm. yeah vote now right. <laughs> <laughs> so um getting close to the end like so could you say like some, I don't know, like what are some general things about you that you feel like, I guess, would be interesting that people would know, I guess. I'm wearing a baby blue sweater. It is baby blue. I love this sweater. That I got is, it yesterday. It's actually really nice. Thank you. Did it's, somebody get that for you? It's polo. No, I got it off Amazon Prime wardrobe. That's Man, this is the second time I'm shilling Amazon today. <laughs> right. What's it's, going on here? I mean, it's like a trillion dollar company. It's hard not to shill them. They have so much stuff that they offer. I just got some stuff from... Amazon just got like a YubiKey, which is really cool. Nice. Yeah. Tired of typing in numbers and that, the two factor off, like where you have to like, where it times out in like five seconds. Yeah. Gosh, Super so frustrating. I, uh, I just find two factor off in general to be a pain in the butt. Like from a security perspective, it's absolutely important and I'm going to keep using it because I know how, it, how important it is. Mm. But at the same time, from a convenience perspective, it's just awful. Right. Like, every time I want to log in, I have to log into LastPass with a long password. <laughs> use my two-factor auth to get into LastPass. Use the password from LastPass to log in, and then use two-factor auth again on this other website that I've enabled two-factor. Like, That's logging it. into my GitHub takes, like, a minute. <laughs> like, a full 60-second minute. Right. And I don't like that. Yeah, but. and I was just like, oh, do I really want to log in now? Yeah. Like, can I not log into this? Do I really want to do it? It's like a motivator to not work. Right. Like, if I if I want to do this project, that means I have to log into at least three websites, and that's five minutes of my life gone. Man, I'm not even going to talk about getting into the drones, like, that process. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for when we're doing internal network tests oh, and we need to log into, like, our Dropboxes. Yeah. It's like getting root on a box, like, <laughs> like yeah. legitimate. Might as well hack my way in, be easier. Yeah, but I mean, we got to have them locked down like that yeah. in, in the interest of client security. Yeah. Well, I guess that I guess that ends it for episode one of, of Colcast. Um, hopefully, if, if it goes well and it's well-received, we're going to do more episodes. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, web application testing, uh, that's another topic that I feel like a lot of people don't know a lot about. A lot of web app testing sort of boils down to proxy it through Burp and hit Active Scan, and <laughs> right. I, I think that <laughs> people should be doing a little bit more uh, in-depth testing than that. Um, I'd love to have a hardware episode because I don't know anything about hardware testing, and I know that we have some really talented hardware testing people on staff. So yeah, maybe yeah. we combine that with like wireless stuff too. Yeah, or Wi-Fi testing and SDR would be cool to talk about. I think there's a that's one of the reasons that I love information security and pen testing as as a career and as a hobby is there's just so much like the breadth of knowledge is massive. Uh, anything with a with a chip in it, you can have someone be an expert at like car hacking people specialize in car hacking. That's really cool. 
So, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to future episodes. Um, hopefully, you are too, guys. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Y'all have a great day, and we will see you next time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, later.